It's so good to be back here in Burlington, New Jersey. I've got the right place, haven't I? <laughs> As you can tell, I'm not from around here. There's something that gives me away. I'm not sure what it is, but um, I just woke up one morning and found myself talking like this. But it is good to be back. Um, I've been over in the States for just about, uh, just over a week. And sadly, going back to the UK tonight, United Kingdom, um, I told someone recently down in Florida, I was from uh, the UK and my wife was at home in the UK. And, and this person looked at me and said, well, what's she studying at UK? <laughs> and I didn't quite know what she meant. And then it became clear that she thought I was talking about the University of Kentucky. Anyway, I'm in the United Kingdom, <laughs> which has been a little bit in the news lately. Some of you have been aware. Um, big changes in my country uh, with our dear queen going home to father. I don't know what you've ever thought or known about the Queen of England, but she was a, a wonderful believer. And she loved the Lord. And she was asked on one occasion by... I think it was one of the bishops, um, about the second coming. And she said, I hope it happens in my lifetime because I can cast my crown before him. That's amazing. So we have a new king. <laughs> we'll work that one through. But it's good to be here. It, it was strange for me not to be at home when all that was happening. I, I was waking up in the morning on Monday, live streaming at 4 a.m. But, you know... Um, that was a special moment. But today is a new day. It's a special moment because we're gathering together in God the Father's presence. Um, and, and he's here with us. Thank you, Steve, for that warm introduction. Um, and also you, Paul. It's, it's good to be back. I, as I walked in the door, I remembered coming up those steps into the foyer here. I thought, yes, I remember this church. It's about eight years ago. And so it, it's good to be here and to be able to share a little bit of what Father's doing. And I know that a number of you are watching on live stream, and it's great to greet you wherever you are. I think there might be somebody watching it in the UK. So can I just say hi to my wife? Morning. <laughs> it's her afternoon, but you know. Um, what I want to share this morning is something that I, I think is very important. You know, we, we talk about experiencing the love of the Father. I noticed on, on your uh, screen up there, we're describing some of the values of your church. There was an importance of experiencing the love of God the Father and the Father's embrace of us. And, and for many of us, um, we came into this revelation of knowing God through Jesus, the beloved Son of God who gave himself for us. Or we came in through an experience of the Holy Spirit. But for some of us, the idea of God being a father has been a little bit distant. You know, for a number of reasons, we sometimes struggle with the idea of God being a father to us. Because naturally, we look at the word father through our experience with our human fathers, if we had one. And, and that's something that, that God as a father wants to heal in our hearts. But he wants to show himself. To us as a father, not to be a father who's up in the rafters somewhere, but who's right here, closer than our very breath. And he sends his son Jesus in the, into our world to show us what he's really like. Because Jesus knows him. 
He is the eternal Son of God in relationship with the Father for all eternity. And he becomes a human being in our world and is for a season the only one who knows that God is Father. You know, he began his ministry when he was 30 years old up in Galilee. And some guys and girls began to gather around him. You know, we call them disciples. When they first met him and encountered him, they heard him talk. And they knew there was something different about this guy. They did not know at that point that he was the son of God. They thought he was just another rabbi, but a particularly gifted one at preaching and speaking. And they'd sometimes catch his eye. And he would look them in their eyes. And somehow they would feel that he was looking into their very souls. And so they were drawn to him. And over three years, he poured into them everything that he knew about God as his father. Because he's preparing them to come to the time when he would go to the cross and die and then rise again. And they would be the ones who would take the message that he had brought on to the whole world. So they're a group of people in transition. They're learning and beginning to see something that they've never seen before. Now, what that's called in the Bible is revelation. Revelation is uncovering something that has always been true. We just haven't seen it. We've not been able to see things because we've been looking at things through the wrong eyes. Those eyes that opened in, in, in the Garden of Eden at the beginning when they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. People could no longer see with the eyes of their hearts. But the coming of Jesus is to open our eyes to see what is eternally true. And the thing that he is insistent on bringing to us is the real and true nature of God. Because people were afraid of God. They were terrified of him. But he wanted to show them that God as a father was their real father who really, really loved them. And he took three years with that group of disciples. And on the last evening that he was with them, and we read all about this in John's Gospel, John takes five chapters, 13 through 17, telling us what went on on that last evening. He doesn't repeat what Matthew, Mark, and Luke told us about the Passover and investing bread and wine with new meaning. Instead, he takes us through the, the, the bigger picture that was happening, the things that Jesus was saying to the disciples. Now, they'd had three years with him. That They were a bunch of ordinary men and women. Um, many of them were young. Most of them were probably teenagers. You know, it says in the Gospels that on one occasion that um, Peter said to Jesus, you know, we need to pay the temple tax. And uh, Jesus sent him fishing. You remember he caught a fish with a coin in his mouth. And the Gospel says that was enough for Peter and Jesus to pay the temple tax. Well, what's that about? Only people over the age of 20 needed to pay the temple tax. Enough for Jesus, who is in his 30s, and Peter, who is probably older, he's a married man, which suggests that all the others were probably teenagers, young men, and women, of course. You know, we know about the 12 disciples because they're listed for us, but Luke, in his gospel, tells us the name of some of the girls 
that followed Jesus. And he lists their names. There was Mary Magdalene. We've all heard of her. In fact, she's mentioned more times than most of the other disciples put together. Then there was a woman called Joanna. We know nothing except her name. A Susanna, another Mary, and uh, another Mary, and probably several other Marys. There were quite a few Marys. You know. But these women, it said, they supported Jesus out of their own resources. Maybe it sounds like they're business women. People who know, well, women do know how to manage the budget usually, don't they? So they were helping Jesus and the others with their ministry. So you've got this group of young men and women who are learning to follow Jesus and discovering the things he said about his father. And they hear things they've never heard before. They hear that God is a father. See, no one in Israel knew that. They never spoke of God as father. One of the prophets of the Old Testament, Jeremiah, speaking the very words of God himself, said to his people, I thought you would call me father. He longed for them to call him father. But they didn't do that. They didn't know that experience. But Jesus begins to open it up. And he has them with him, these young men and women. And halfway through that evening, he says this to them. And it's found in John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 9. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now stay in that place of being loved. It's quite an extraordinary thing to say. Because the first thing it says is this, that Jesus felt loved by his Father. You know, that was so important to him. For 30 years, he grew up in Nazareth, the only one knowing that God was his Father. And that day came when he was baptized by John in the River Jordan, and the father spoke to him, and the father said, You are my son. You are my son. And I love you. And I'm proud of you. Jesus needed to know that. In his humanity, he needed to know his dad was proud of him and loved him. He needed to be affirmed that everything you've believed, son, up until this time is true. You are my son. Jesus needed to know that. He regularly needed to experience that from his father. We see him through the gospels taking time out just to talk with his father. You know, they go up into the hills spending all night just talking because he'd come back and say, you know what? I only want to do what I see my father doing. I only want to say the things I hear father saying. I don't want you to give my own good ideas. It's what father wants to give you I want to give you. And Jesus needed to be comforted by his Father. You know what? Jesus lived in the human world, in human flesh and blood, fully human as well as fully divine. And because he was fully human, he experienced what we experience. He never sinned, but there were days when he felt so alone. He felt lonely. He said to his Father on one occasion, you know, Father... Only the Father knows the Son, and only the Son knows the Father. There's no one who really knows me. And that's a lonely place, isn't it? And Jesus would have needed comfort. 
We read in the Gospels on that, later in that evening when they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is there pouring out his heart to the Father because he knows what is about to happen. And it says angels comforted him. So when Jesus says to the disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, what did that look like? What did it look like? What did it feel like for those disciples to be loved by Jesus? Because he is loving them in the same way as God the Father loved him. The Father was a father to Jesus, and here we see that Jesus was being like a father to the disciples. Pouring into him, to them, what he had received from his heavenly Father. You know, love, when it comes from God, Paul says in Romans 5, 5, it's poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So it's like a substance. And when the love of God is poured into us, it begins to flow out of us. As the love of the Father is being poured into Jesus, it flows out into his disciples. And they needed it. They needed to be loved. Earlier in the evening, Jesus had said to them that he would give them, he would send to them another comforter. Sometimes we call the word a, a, a counselor or an advocate, but the root of the word is comfort. I'm going to give you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. That's great. But what does it say? Another comforter. So somebody had been comforting them all along through those years. Now, this is just like kids' church, right? Who was that who comforted them? You know, right? the answer is always Jesus, isn't it? You know, I got caught like that when I was a kid once. Somebody asked, who built the ark? Jesus. <laughs> Wrong one. <laughs> but here, the another is Jesus. Jesus had been comforting the disciples. He had been touching them because they needed to be comforted, just like he did. The Apostle Paul, later on, he wrote the same thing. He needed to be comforted. In 2 Corinthians, he said, you know, God is the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Comforts us. Paul's not sitting there saying, oh, he'll comfort you because I'm the great Apostle Paul. I don't need comfort. He really did need comfort. He'd had a terrible time. Ministry for him was not easy. If you ever saw the Apostle Paul's back, it would have been a whole back covered with scars from beatings and whippings. You don't get that and survive it unless you're comforted. See, Paul knew what it was to be comforted. Jesus knew what it was to be comforted. And he says to the disciples, so do you. And I'm going to comfort you. Because that's an expression of love. So when we're talking about how does God love us, he loves us through comforting us. You know, when you're hurting, something's happened in your life, and you're sitting down with a friend, what is it you need? Sometimes it's not words. Sometimes it's just the look in the eye, isn't it? A look that says, I don't fully understand, but I'm with you. Sometimes it's the appropriate touch, maybe the hand over your hand, the squeeze. Maybe it's even an embrace. I love it that on your church details you said, experiencing the Father's embrace. I'm just talking about hugs, 
they're great, but the embrace of the Father is way deeper. You know, you can be comforted by someone's arms. You can be comforted by their words. Words count for so much, don't they? As an expression of love. And so Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father's loved me, so have I loved you. Now, at this point, none of the disciples scratch their heads and say, uh, we don't know what you mean. They'd done that earlier in the evening. He said, you know where I'm going, don't you? You know the way. And they're all going, what's he talking about? We missed that talk. Was I fishing that day? And they don't know where he's going. So Thomas you know, asks, what do you mean? Philip later on says, you know, if you could just show us the Father, we'd get it then. They've still got questions. But at this point, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. They know. There was that moment. Their hearts responded because they felt loved. Now, why would they need to be loved, these young guys, these young men and women? What was going on in their world that meant that they needed to be loved? They're an interesting group. Remember James and John, sons of Zebedee? They happened to be close relatives of Jesus. They were his cousins because their mom was Mary's sister. So they're family. Now, I don't know what you think about James and John, these young guys. What was their character like? Well, there was a lot of competition going on between these two young men and everybody else. You know, their mom was very intentional about her boys. She said to Jesus one day, um, excuse me, Jesus, can I have a little word with you? And this is Salome, right? So he probably said, Auntie Sally, good to talk to you. How can I help? Well... We know you're going to Jerusalem to the palace. When we get there, can my John sit on your left and my James on your right? You know, James and John are going, hmm, yeah, Jesus, can you do that? And the other disciples are thinking, what? You know, the disciples didn't go all around with gold discs around the head looking like this. There was stuff, right? Any of you watch that series, The Chosen? If you've seen it, that's a good indication of what it's like. They were ordinary. James and John are fiery young men. They called them, well, Jesus had a nickname for them. He called them Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. It sounds like a motorbike gang, doesn't it? You know, sons of thunder. And they were like that because they're passing through Samaria on one occasion and the people in the town won't support them. So what do they do? They come to Jesus. They're not even going to, so call fire down on them, Jesus. That's sons of thunder. <laughs> you know, what's going on? Often there's a lot hiding behind these people, isn't it? That's just James and John. What about Peter? Oh, my goodness. Simon Peter, he's like this, isn't he? He has moments of incredible revelation, and next minute he's in the pits. You know, one day, Jesus says to the disciples, so what are people saying about me? And they answer, and then Jesus says, well, what about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And it's Simon who jumps straight in. You know, he's one of these guys who always has to be first to say something. You've never met anyone like that, have you? You know, you always knew when Simon was in the room because he was there, a big presence. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, whoa, Simon, 
Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. You can imagine Simon going, <laughs> you hear that, the rest of you? My revelation. Why did I do that with an American accent? I'm sorry. <laughs> it just popped out. And Jesus says, Simon, you know, that revelation, I'm going to build my church on that. In fact, from now on, I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. Now, you can imagine Simon puffing his chest out. Now, you heard it first here. From now on, I'm rock, right? I'm the man. And off they go. And on the same chapter, Jesus turns around and says to them, Oh, by the way, we're going to Jerusalem. And when I get there, I'm going to be arrested, tried, crucified. And on the third day, I will rise again. So Simon, uh, Simon Peter, rock, immediately steps in and it says in the gospel that he took Jesus to one side. It's like he's saying, Jesus, a little word, please. Can we have a little talk? Don't talk like that. That's not good for morale. We're your boys. We won't let that happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Ooh. You know, half an hour before, he's rock. Now he's a grain of sand. Because Peter's like this. He has those moments. He had that moment in the Last Supper when Jesus is talking about things and Simon says, well, others might betray you. I never will. Not me, I'm Peter. And Jesus says, you know what? Before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll have denied me three times. No, I won't. Now you remember what happened. And Matthew tells us that after that, Simon Peter, broken by what he'd done, still followed, tried to see what had happened. And he's in the courtyard, and it says the Lord was taken through the courtyard. And it says the Lord looked at Simon. Now, how would that look have been? This is the look of the Son of God to this broken man who's all puffed up one minute and in despair the next. Would it have been a look that said, <laughs> told you so? No. He would have looked at Simon with all the love of the universe because that would have been comforting to his heart. It says Simon burst into tears. Jesus' look was always one of love and comfort. He even looked at a guy who'd never made it as a disciple. You remember the rich young ruler who said, I'll follow you, I've done everything, kept all the law. And Jesus said, well, actually, I need you to give all your money away. And the guy couldn't do it, and he walked away. He never even qualified as a disciple. And it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. See, the comforting love of the Father pouring into Jesus, out into the men and women of his followers and into all of us, loves us, comforts us in every circumstance of life. There is nothing we have ever done that he can't comfort us in. You know, when we fail, when we let him down, which is people we do all the time, he still loves us and comforts us. When we've failed, that's what we need. 
We need someone to hold us. Maybe not say anything. Just look us in the eye with all the love that Father's pouring into us. So Jesus' look would have carried love. You know, one day we'll see him face to face. We'll see those eyes looking at us. But we can experience it now through one another. You know, Paul says we're comforted with the comfort we have received. So you can be sitting with someone and you can look them in the eye. And because you're in Christ and the Father's love is in you, looking through your eyes will be the love of God, the Father. Comfort comes through one another. The words that we speak. And the the way we speak. You know, you can say to someone, I love you. And somehow the words don't match the tone of voice. See, love has an expression. It carries something to it. And the way Jesus spoke to people would have communicated that comforting love. Now, of course, we don't know what his voice sounded like. We could never hear it. But we know the words. Two of the disciples were a couple of girls, two sisters, Mary and Martha, right? They lived in Bethany, you know, the Bethany sisters. Sounds like a country and western singing duo, doesn't it, you know? The Bethany girls. They, they were siblings, right, and were so different. Now, you know, I've got a sibling, and he and I are so different. We've all got differences in us. We're not clones of each other. Martha was one of those people that every church needs. You need at least a team of Marthas who are always available. They love to do that, and that's their joy, to serve and minister and help and support. Martha was one of those. Her speciality was cooking. You know, if they'd had MasterChef Israel in the first century, she'd have won it. She knew how to do that stuff. Her sister Mary, completely different. She was much happier just to be, to sit and listen. And they were great friends with Jesus. And one day, Jesus shows up for a meal at their house. This is at the house where their brother Lazarus lived. And and Martha invited them in for the meal. Of course, whenever Jesus showed up, he's got a gang of hungry young men with him. So 12 hungry young teenagers. So Martha would have done the sums. You know, well, there's us two and Lazarus and Jesus and... 12 more extras, uh, 16 for lunch today. So Martha does her thing. She goes straight to the kitchen and it all happens, you know, very quickly. I don't know how they can do that. But she's kind of turning out a feast. The noise level in the kitchen was going up. The saucepan lids would have been happening. The steam was rising and in Martha, the steam was rising. Because she's thinking, where's my sister? Isn't this typical? Whenever there's a job to be done, she's nowhere to be seen. You know, siblings don't behave like that, do they? So she goes looking for young Mary. And she sees her in the room with Jesus and all these boys, like 13 guys. And there's Mary sitting there at the feet of Jesus. So what do we read happens? Do we read that she quietly went up to Mary and bent down and whispered in her ear, Mary dear, could you come and give me a hand in the kitchen? No. She goes up to Jesus. Says, Oi, Jesus, tell her to help me. 
What's going on? She's talking to Jesus as if it's his problem. You know? And what does Jesus do? Does he say, Martha, how dare you speak to me like that? No, he doesn't. He says, Martha, Martha. One dish would have been fine. Mary's actually chosen something really good too. He doesn't condemn either of them. He knows Martha can just do the best food in the world. But don't miss a very crucial fact. What did it sound like when Jesus said that to her? He said her name twice. He said, Martha, Martha. Now, in first century Jewish culture, when you said someone's name twice, it was a sign of great affection. It was a sign of love. He's saying, oh, Martha, Martha. She would have heard the tone. She would have heard his heart through those words. Not condemning the Marthas of this world at all, but loving them and recognizing that both girls were loved. It wasn't either or here. Both were loved. Jesus used that time and time again. He said it to Simon, Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan wants to sift you, but I'm not going to let that happen. He said it to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you under my arms like a mother hen does her chicks under her wings. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is affection pouring out through the words which brings love and comfort. He even said it to the Apostle Paul when he was still Saul the persecutor on the road to Damascus. If Jesus could have been angry with anyone, it could have been him for what he was doing. But what does he do? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, love is communicated through our voices, through our tones. And as his sons and daughters, his love being poured in us is the same. You can speak the comforting love of the Father to those in need around you through your words. So he comes to us. It is Paul, Paul, Steve, Steve, whatever your name is, he comforts you. And of course, finally, there's touch, appropriate touch. Because love is communicated through touch, isn't it? We know when touch is wrong. We're not stupid. But there is good, loving, appropriate touch. And God the Father pours love, comforting love, into our hearts through the touch. Do we see that happening with Jesus? Well, he certainly talks about it. Remember the story of the prodigal? The father sees the boy coming from a long way and runs to him. And what does he do? He throws his arms around him. Who's the story about, really? It's about the Father. It's in the description of God the Father who runs to us and embraces us and holds us with his love. On one occasion, um, 
thousands, hundreds of people were coming to Jesus and the disciples were doing all the, the ministry lines. They were organizing the people because, you know, he needed a bit of a hand with all this stuff. And there's people coming and parents show up with their children. And the disciples say, oh, no, no, come on. This is for grown-ups only. You're coming to the master, right? No kids. And Jesus says, <clears throat> nice lines, boys. Thank you. But actually... This is about the children. Let the children come. Because unless you become like a little child, you can't receive my kingdom of love. You see, children know how to receive, don't they? They know how to receive. At Christmas, what do the kids do? They can't wait to open their presents. You know, we grown-ups, when someone gives us a gift, we say, oh, no, no, you shouldn't have none. No, no, I can't possibly. But kids, nah, grab it. I've got seven grandchildren. Actually, they're all getting a bit big now. But when they were little, you give them a wrapped box and they unwrap it and they look inside and there's a gift. They pick that up and throw it on the floor and put the box on their head. You know, hey, granddad bought me a box. Thanks, granddad. You know, kids know how to receive. The children are coming. So Jesus says, let them come. So what do they do? They all come out the front and they stand in a line and Jesus goes down the line, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Is that what he does? Mm -mm. No, he says he took them in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. When my grandkids were little, I'd go, hi guys, and what do they do? They're all over you, aren't they? They're not neat and tidy. They want to share their bubble gum with me. You know, they wipe their snotty arm, noses on my sleeve. This is what kiddies do. You know, granddad. And what do I do? I tickle them. I kiss them. I hug them. I just pour love into them. See, love looks like something. It feels like something. It sounds like something. It comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others with the love that we ourselves have received from God. And so Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now stay in that love. How do you stay in that love? By keeping my commandments. Oh, is this a whole new set of rules? Nope. One simple commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Love like I love. Live in this broken world, in that place. You know, I don't know what it's been like over here, but COVID has been terrible in Britain. We all got shut up in our houses, and we, at best we saw people behind our masks, and we, people got lonely and isolated, and they didn't feel the common touch of another human being for a whole season. And praise God, those days seem to be coming to an end. But we still needed, even in our brokenness, this touch, this comfort. I think COVID may have exposed the need in our hearts for connection, for a relationship. You know, it's lovely that you guys are here. You guys at home, we miss you. Come back. <laughs> come and, it, you know, you can sit on your own if you want to, but come back. Because this is where the Father is, in our hearts. He doesn't live in the building, he lives in here. We are in him, and we're made to be together 
in the family, in that place of homecoming, in the heart of the Father, so that we can pour one and his love into one another. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now stay in my love. Let him love you. You know, right now, whatever's been going on in your life, he wants to comfort you in that place. He wants to pour love into your heart. He wants you to feel the warmth of his embrace. You know, you're all I need, is what we're saying. To feel the warmth of your embrace. To know we're beloved sons and daughters. Not slaves to an old way of thinking, but sons. So right now, maybe you want to lay hands on yourself. You know, you could put your hand on your heart if you like. If that helps. You know, it's kind of somewhere around here. It's not on our sleeve, hopefully. It's kind of here. And maybe just put your hand on your heart. Because Father is in you. You are in Christ Jesus. And he's loving you right now. Whatever's been going on, whatever the last week, months, years have been dealing to you, he's loving you right now. He wants to comfort you in all your troubles with the comfort we've received from him. As the Father loved Jesus, so Jesus loves you. The Holy Spirit is here comforting you. The Father's here comforting you right now. There's nothing that you have ever done that would stop him from loving you because he is your real father. So thank you, Father. Right now, comfort us. Right now, Father, pour your love into every place, every area of brokenness, every area where we have not received the love we needed. And Father, as we walk out, as we go down the street into our neighborhoods, let that love flow out into the people we meet each day so that we can love them in the way you love us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. 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 Wow. What a word of comfort. The God of all comfort has brought a word of comfort to our hearts this morning. And I trust that you've just opened your heart to receive the word that the Lord has spoken to us through his servant. Thank you so much, Trevor. It was such a great message. It was even better with that accent, wasn't it? I'm a sucker for the British accent. On my uh, GPS talks, it talks to me in the British accent. <laughs> you, you know, you could, you could pick that. We just want to take a moment as we just close this morning to just uh, shut ourselves in with the Lord. And uh, Holy Spirit, we just ask this morning that you would seal this word to our hearts. We thank you, faithful Holy Spirit. 
We thank you that you've come to comfort us this morning. We thank you for this word of truth that your servant has brought to us today. We thank you, Lord, that you know exactly where each and every one of us that special touch from you, where we need to see and hear and feel the comfort of Jesus. So deepen the revelation of the Father's heart for each and every one of us this morning. Help us to hear the words of Jesus coming into our own spirits right now, that as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. How can we wrap our minds around such words, but we receive them by faith today? And we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your great love, your mercy, your grace to undeserving sinners. <laughs> but to know that we are your sons, we are your daughters, and you desire, Lord, for us to encounter your embrace today. That you look deeply into our eyes. You speak words of comfort, words of love, words of affirmation. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. The altar is open if any of you would like to come. Spend a few moments in prayer. You're welcome to do so. Otherwise, we just want to dismiss you as we just stand and dismiss you in a word of benediction. Amen. We thank you, Father. <clears throat> 